It's not about the investment, the end vehicle you're putting it in. It's about the warehouse. Where is the cash actually sitting? Welcome to the Million Dollar Landscaper Podcast. We're your hosts, Scott and Katie Mulchan, and we make it easy to start working on, not just in your landscaping business. We're a real couple that helped grow our family business to well over a million dollars in revenue. And now we help other landscaping business owners just like you to do the same. Are you ready to build your business? Let's get started. Before we get into today's show, a big thank you to our sponsor, Send Gym. If you want to get the leads you want and turn your current clients into raving fans, then you need to try Send Gym. They've created an exclusive offer just for our listeners. If you sign up today, you can get your first month for just $2. So if you haven't already, go to sendgym.io forward slash MDL, where you can get even more exclusive deals just for Million Dollar Landscaper podcast listeners. That's sendgym.io forward slash MDL and take advantage of these awesome deals today. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are excited to have Sean Adams of Leveraged Life Management on with us. Sean, you had a landscaping company, so you are familiar with the green industry. We like to stick with people, you know, that have some street cred with landscapers, uh, just to keep it real. But now you do something kind of different, and it's something that I honestly don't know a lot about. So that's why we're uh, really excited to have you on, because mm-hmm. now you're more focused really on helping, like, protect and grow your earnings. And so, like, this is just something I didn't know anything about. No, yeah. So we're super excited to have you on, Sean. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Katie, Scott, really appreciate being here. Excited to, to get talking to you. Sean, you mind uh, sharing a little bit of a background on yourself and, and how you got into the leverage life? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so I, I think that I definitely fall into the camp of someone who was born entrepreneurial. I think some people uh, can learn the skills and kind of move into the small business world. For whatever reason, I'm missing a chromosome or screws loose. Something's going on where I have to have autonomy and control. And I love being able to start businesses. It's been something as a kid, a quirky little young guy running around, pushing a lawnmower, doing all those kind of things. So like your audience, uh, my first business was a landscaping firm. And I started in high school and, and and really just fell in love with marketing and, and really the sales side. I love getting new customers and putting together new service agreements and all that nerdy business stuff. I was going to say, that's usually the opposite answer. Most people are like, I just want to be in the dirt building stuff. <laughs> and so, yeah, yes. no, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where I loved the business side, but I never really knew what that meant. I just had the concept of wanting to work for myself and it came out of nowhere. No one on either side of my family has any sort of uh, business or you know entrepreneurial investor kind of mindset. It's just something that's been ingrained to me. And I saw the landscape industry as as an easy, low barrier to entry thing that I could get into. And I was already doing it for my grandma and my neighbors and so on and so forth. And so I started to see the potential and, you know, it scaled into this whole business that I had. So I spent the first about 12 years of my career growing, scaling, and ultimately selling my landscape business. So we can jump into any of the pieces in there, but that was my first sort of toe in the water to the, the business side. And certainly a lot of lessons on what not to do was learned in that time. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's how we all learn. So after you sold your business, what did you kind of do after that? Yeah. So to give you some context into kind of how that flows into now, as I'm sure most of your audience will resonate with, one of the fundamental flaws or just challenges that I had was just understanding this world of finance, right? Like I knew that I could make money, put it in my bank account, but I was living in that cash flow crunch, the, the, the roller coaster, right? You'd make 50 grand on a big job and you'd lose 60 grand on the next one, or you'd put it into a new piece of equipment. This constant stopping and starting, I could never gain the right momentum 
And as I started to get later and later into the business, I realized that, you know, I was looking to get married and have children, started thinking about retirement. I'm like, how am I ever going to be in a position to retire? Like it was so far out of reality from where I was. I I started to think like, I need to get real about this. And uh, a a kind of personal story, I I actually ended up in the hospital because I had overworked myself. And um, it was one of those, I was perfectly fine. It was just like a dehydration thing, but I was in the hospital for four days and I almost lost my entire business in that period of time because it was all on me. I had no backup plan. So common. Did not have enough cash reserves saved. And it was just this eye-opening, like, you got to get your crap together and you've got to, one, delegate better. But secondly, you got to understand how to manage this business like a business and not fall into these traps that we all talk about. And so finance was a huge piece of that. And I really loved investing the idea of it, but I knew nothing about it. So I sat down with a couple of advisors and I got this cookie cutter approach that I'm sure people have come across, right? Where it's like, you can put your money in these three buckets and this one has tax advantages, this one doesn't, but you're going to offset this. And it felt like they were regurgitating something that was just on some spreadsheet that they learned in college, right? It was the same exact thing. I'm thinking, you know, someone who is in middle America working a corporate job is not doing the same thing that I'm doing running a landscape business. Like you just, there's so many intricacies to cash flow and, you know, winter versus the summer. I mean, there's so many factors. Actors, right? So I began to like say, screw the conventional because that's how my brain works. How can I find, you know, more creative ways? What are the really ultra wealthy? What are the billionaires doing? What are the people that I admire? What are they doing with their money? And how are they thinking about that? So it led me on a several year course of books interviews, sitting down and talking to every person who I thought was remotely successful, trying to tease out all the nuances of how they thought about money. And I learned an unbelievable amount, starting with banking, just understanding that concept. And I'll pause there because that's a lot, but the banking was kind of the first step in understanding all this. Yeah, no, I was actually checking out your videos here earlier today on your website and talking about the banking that really got my mind going. I'm like, wow, maybe we need to look at some other things a little bit different because we fell in the same trap. Well, I think a lot of people know, okay, a savings account's like not the best way to make money, but what do you do? I yeah. mean, yeah, nobody it, knows what that next step is. Yeah. Well, we learned, you know, the Roth IRAs or traditional IRAs and or 401ks or whatever. And yeah, it's yeah. just what we've been taught and that's what we've done. That's what I've learned. Is- yeah, we even <laughs> have a financial guy that we work with and now I'm rethinking and I'm like, I think he gave us that same regurgitation stated story you got so (laughs) yeah so just to draw a line in the sand too there's a difference between warehousing your money and invest right and for some reason somewhere along the lines probably like the turn of the century when we got into the factories where we're just trying to keep all of our employees at the same you know level middle america we thought that saving money and investing were the same thing. So that's why they, they prescribe all these things. So your options, if you don't do your research, are stick it in the bank or stick it in the stock market. One's incredibly risky. One feels safe, but you get no upside, right? And so that's the, the huge challenge. So that's the first kind of mental shift to think about. And the, the second one is really understanding how banks make money. I mean, it's the greatest business strategy of all time. They have this facility And their clients come and they give them big pockets of money, or now it's all electronic. It gets deposited in their accounts. They store this money. And what most people don't understand is what they actually do with the money once it's there. So what banks do is they take a portion of your deposits, they pool them with everybody else who has deposits in those banks, and they go and purchase assets or investments with your money. And you sign off for this, whether you know it or not, this is how it works. And so what banks do, and you can double check all this, of course, do your own research. And I'm not an investment advisor or put that disclosure out there, but what they'll do is it's called a tier one asset. So if you look at like your Wells Fargo, your very, very big publicly traded banks, you'll notice that on their balance sheets, which you can find online, any of their websites, 
you'll see that among their largest holdings, like companies that are above about 500 million or so, the largest amount of investment they have is actually in life insurance, believe it or not, in whole life insurance. And these banks pool all their customers' money together. They buy these life insurance policies. It's a very uniquely designed structure. And that policy actually produces a guaranteed dividend and interest back to the bank. And that rate is about 4 to 6%, guaranteed. It's not linked to the stock market. These are mutual insurance companies. So they are buying hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of life insurance in these policies. They're getting a cash flow back to them, 4 to 6%. And then they are giving you bank services, right? So they give you like 0.1% in your savings account. You get a debit card, you get checks. <laughs> like that's the agreement. And most people have no idea that that's the way that banks make unbelievable margins. It's like 300% because they're not even using their money to invest. They're using yours. Is it amazing? No, I had no idea that that's what they did. I really didn't. So no, that's new to me. <laughs> yeah. So that's the idea. It's one about thinking long-term, but secondly, thinking about like having more control over your money, right? So like when we don't do our research, we don't, pick a lane, someone picks a lane for us. And in our case, it's banks, it's the funds, it's the managers, the financial advisors, right? They're going to put you in whatever lane is convenient if you don't, you know, do your research and find what's a better fit for you. Yeah, absolutely. So now, you know, we'll take the landscapers, for example, you know, they start making some money. Do you have a way that they can actually grow that money better than your traditional IRA or Roth IRA? Or Exactly. Yeah. And so again, not so much from the investment standpoint, because people might be hearing four or 6%. Oh, I can get better than that in an index fund. I can get better than that in real estate or XYZ. It's not about, again, the investment, the end vehicle you're putting it in. It's about the warehouse. Where is the cash actually sitting? So for most of us, it sits in a savings account. Mm -hmm. And then we take it from there and we put it into an investment, right? So we get zero on one end and hopefully seven or 8% on the other end. Mm -hmm. And everything in between is a crapshoot. And so the process that we teach shows you how billionaires, the ultra, ultra wealthy and banks use this concept of life insurance as a sort of a warehouse for their wealth. And I'm talking about long-term wealth. I'm not saying withdraw your money from your accounts and stick it under your mattress. I'm talking about, you know, your debit cards, all that stuff all stays with traditional banks. That's low cost and smart. But your long-term savings, you know, that sort of stuff that you really want to insulate. And when you talk about guaranteed growth, you're not getting guarantees in the stock market. You're not getting guarantees in real estate. You can use what's in these accounts to then invest. And we can talk about that side, but it's about putting the money into something that has insulation, that's protected. And the way that these insurance companies are set up they're mutual. So they're not linked to that stock market. And so you think of it like a credit union, you're kind of all a part of that same organization. And so because of that, the insurance company guarantees that interest rate back to you. And so like I said, between four and 6% on average, depending on the company you use. And so you're automatically this pile of money that's likely sitting there anyway, in between jobs, or when you just finish up and profit on something, whatever the scenario is, it's sitting in a warehouse, why not make it something that's working for you here? And then you can disperse it into an investment or buy that, you know, new steak body truck or invest in that skid steer or whatever you need, but do it smartly with a system behind it. And so that's what our firm does is set these policies up and they have to be very specifically designed. It's not just any old insurance, but that's the gist of it. Yeah, I like that. You're making the money work for you. That's perfect. 100%. Well, we talked about, you know, making the money work for you. Now, we've been doing this pretty much kind of the wrong the whole way, pretty much is- is what you're kind of saying? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not anyone's fault. I mean, I was doing the exact same thing. It's just a lack of understanding. When we talk about the masses, back in the 50s and 60s, heading into the 70s, when the pension started to fall apart, because before it was show up, go to a job, you stay for 40 years, you get this beautiful pension at the end of it. You never complain because you got your pension, right? Mm-hmm. When that dissolved, 
the financial industry had to find other tools. So they looked for IRAs, they created 401ks, they created all of these other vehicles that could help be a complement to the pension or replace it if the company stopped offering it. And so that became a really, really easy, almost automated system from the beginning for the average American, the average consumer. The challenge is it's also super easy and automated for the advisor. So they can take a million of you guys, put them all in the same fund, and they can rinse and repeat. They make a small percentage off of you and 30 million of your friends. And that's the way that they can scale it. And so it's not your fault because that's the way that it's marketed. It's like you have two options and that's really, really challenging. And so it's really a matter of people not knowing about this concept. And so when I came across it, when I started putting it in place in my business, in the landscape side, and then as I scaled into doing consulting, it was such a light bulb because it was so powerful for me. I mean, when money came into my accounts, my sphere, it became part of my net worth instead of kind of visiting for a little bit, right? I have a deposit, it's with me for a little bit and then it's out the door. It was about this long-term growth and having a savings process. And so once I understood this, it was like, I've got to get this in front of small businesses that really need it because the billionaires, like, you know, they've got plenty of money to work with. It needs to be put in the right accounts, but it's the small businesses that struggle every year on these different waves throughout the season. And so, especially in something like landscaping, that's very capital intensive. It really works well to have that safety net, but it's not your fault to answer your question. It's really how it's been marketed to you. I know before the podcast, we were talking about how if you do something like this, you can actually pull that money out and use it in your business and, you know, to purchase equipment and whatnot. Yeah. So one of the other key components, we call them like the five levers of wealth. We talked about the first two there. It's not correlated to the stock market. So if it dips tomorrow, your money's not affected. The second one we talked about is having the guarantees, right? The third component is really liquidity. And this is a huge piece, right? Because when you have it in a bank, you're very liquid. So if you needed to withdraw that tomorrow, it's easy. Write a check, whatever you need to do. You can click a button and move it over. When you stick it in a 401k, an IRA, these systems are designed to not allow you to put your hand in the cookie jar on purpose. They don't want you to take it out because they want to instill good saving and investing habits. And so that's great, again, for the middle America person who needs that. But for a small business who has has these other concerns, there's timeframes, there's new investment opportunities, things come up, you just need access to your money. After all, it is yours, right? And so the concept is we want to be able to access that too, like we can from a bank. And so when we deposit money into one of these policies, obviously there's a death benefit component and the whole life insurance side, which might be beyond the scope of one podcast. But <laughs> the, the other piece is really when we're depositing cash in there, it grows a cash value. It's the equity, the amount of money in that account. And the most unique thing about these life insurance policies is it's actually accessible in this concept that's sort of like using your money in two places at once. The way that it works is through what's called a policy loan. So it's almost like pulling an equity line of credit out of your home. You know, when you have, let's say you have a $200,000 mortgage, you paid $100,000 into it, you have $100,000 in equity. You can go to another bank and refinance or pull that $100,000 equity out. It's technically liquid that you can use. Same concept in these policies where you can actually take a loan out from the amount that you have in your account and use it for whatever you want. And there's no limit. It doesn't have to be used for certain purposes. It literally, you want to go buy a Ferrari, you want to go pay your mortgage. It doesn't matter what it is. And it's also a personal contract between you and the insurance company. So I don't know about you. I just tried to refinance through another means and it was a nightmare. The amount of paperwork and credit checks and it's a whole thing. With this insurance company, the money is in your account already, right? So you're not taking a loan from someone else, someone else's money. It's your money. Mm -hmm. You're going to take a loan out from your money and invest in whatever you want. 
And now the insurance company, there's a cost to it. They will charge you an interest rate that's typically between 3 and 5%, depending on the insurance company. But you can basically, because your money that you have in that account continues to grow as if you took the money out or not, right? It doesn't matter if you did. So if you had $100,000 in your account and you took $50,000 out to go buy a new truck, the insurance company is going to say, okay, well, we're going to charge you interest on that 50000 that you took out. But your original $100,000 that was in that account continues to grow at that 5 to 6% compounding interest as if you never took the other 50 out. That's nice. So that is a huge component because when you have a large amount of money in an account, even if you have $5,000 in an account, the biggest drain of wealth is interrupting compounding growth. Because when you remove it, you don't have that large amount to, to compound on. So I just want to stop there because that's, that's a little bit of a foreign concept. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Uh, we looked before into taking some money out of our uh, accounts and they hit you pretty hard with some of the penalties and interest and stuff on it. It's kind of shocking how much they hit you. Is that kind of the same thing here or a little less? Yeah. So in traditional, uh, what are called qualified retirement plans, your 401ks, your SEP IRAs, all that kind of stuff. It's normally at least 10%. Sometimes it's 15% that they hit you. No. Remember, this is your money that you're putting in an account, right? It's not some foreign amount that you stole from someone. This is stuff you worked for. And so this is what always bothered me, being entrepreneurial. I felt completely out of control. So you're incentivized or de-incentivized to remove the money from the accounts. With an insurance policy, it is your money. And because it's a personal contract between you and the insurance company, the only charge that you have is your interest that they're going to charge you if you take the money out. But you can do it anytime you want. For example, I just invested a few thousand dollars in some marketing that I was doing for my business. I went over to my policy on my portal. I clicked in. I want X amount of dollars. And I think it was in 48 hours, 72 hours, that amount was deposited in my account. Nice. No questions. There's no underwriting. It's your money. You pull it out. There's no extra fees other than the interest you pay. Mm-hmm. But again, you're already earning money on that. So one of the concepts to think about is like you're paying interest whether you are loaning out the money or not, right? So if I loan it from a bank, I'm paying the bank interest. So why wouldn't I give myself the interest and almost loan for myself and replace the bank from the equation if I can? Mm -hmm. And so that's the whole concept of it. You'll hear it be called self-banking or privatized banking because that's kind of the concept for some of these larger purchases. That's kind of the idea. Is there any kind of obligation then to return? Like say you took that 50,000 out. Is there any like, okay, you've got X amount of time to put 50K back in? I'm glad you brought that up because that's a huge other piece of this is flexibility. It's one of the other kind of ideas behind these levers. Again, having full autonomy and control, because it's a personal private contract and your money is in that account, it's what's called self-collateralized. So you do not have to pay the money back. So if you loan out that $50,000 and you use it to buy a new home, invest in a truck, whatever you do, you're going to pay interest on that money that you took out Mm -hmm. continuously. But it's collateralized. So if you were to die tomorrow and not pay a penny back, the death benefit, because remember, it's life insurance, right? So let's say it's a million dollar death benefit. So mm-hmm. it's Scott, you know, if you passed away and the million dollars would go to Katie, if you had any loans out, the $50,000 would be taken right off the top of that death benefit. Okay. If you didn't pay anything. So the interest will continue to accrue. So it does get taken out then. Yeah. If somebody Some, like yeah. at the end, at the Correct. end, end, like death end. So, Okay. <laughs> So even if you take money out, it continues to accrue that interest, like you said, on the original 100000 So then, say you put in more. So at some point you have 150000 then. Yes. But then you take some more out. 
then does it stay at that next rate? Like, does it always stay at the highest amount you put in or does it always accrue the interest on like the original amount you put in? Yeah, the total value of the account. Okay. And that's the point, right? So when we set these accounts up for you, we establish on an annual basis, what's the maximum you would like to be able to fund it for? Mm -hmm. And then we can set up kind of what the minimums are. So we set the ceiling and the floor for you. So most people will say, look, I wanted the ability to put $50,000 a year in. If I have a good year, close a big job, I want to stick 50 grand in one of these policies. Mm -hmm. I don't want to bill for $50,000 worth of insurance, but I want to be able to put that in there. So we can structure it so that the insurance expense is shrinked down and you have this ceiling of 50,000 in this example to fund into the accounts. Let's say you put 30 in one year, 50 in the next, 10 in the next, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. It will just keep growing that value and it'll keep gaining interest on the total amount that you're putting in. And one other note on the loan component. So it is collateralized, like I said, so it will be taken out of the death benefit, but also you can pay it back any way that you want or not at all, right? If you don't pay back at all, it'll be taken off of the death benefit at the end of your life. But if you do, which a lot of people do, especially like real estate or like contractors who will say, look, I've got a big job. The person only gave me a 10% down payment. I really need 30%. They take 20% out of their accounts. They will pay for the equipment, uh, the materials, let's say for a large job. They will get reimbursed at the 50% mark from their client or at the end of the job. And they'll take that money and just go repay the loan real quick. That's nice. So Mm -hmm. you can pay it back in one year, two years, no year, whatever frequency fits you. And from a small business perspective and most people's experience with banking, this is very revolutionary because it's like very rigid and you do what we say or you're screwed type of thing. And this is much more of a flexible, fits a small business really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I like that you can put large sums of money in because, you know, with some of the traditional things that you can only like put in 6,000 a year or whatever this, Hey, if you've got a big chunk sitting around, throw it in there. That's what I was ask. Is there any limit to that or minimum amount, maximum? There isn't. I mean, we have people right coming out of college that have a hundred dollars a month to put in one of these accounts. We can go as low as that. And we have clients that say they have got $5 million and they want to put in, there's no maximum. We just have to establish this floor in the ceiling when we mm-hmm. sent the account up. Okay. So the question is, what's the max that you would likely want the ability to put in on an annual basis? Okay. Some people, that's $500,000 a year. Sure. They do big real estate deals and that's the cash that they're pushing around. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I have a landscape business and I'm doing, you know, $120,000 a month. And I want to be able to put half of that away per month. Let's just yeah. say, for example, okay, well, that's, you know, you want the floor or the ceiling to be, you know, three quarters of a million dollars. We can set it up any way that you want, but we have to kind of know that when we set the account up okay. to give you that ceiling per year. Nice. Okay. Nice. I like this in the terms of when I think of running a business and having money. I like this in the terms of usable money, like cash flow and usable money. Because like you said, you might have stuff in the bank that you need for like right now for like paying your light bill and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got your investments, like long-term stuff you've got tucked away, da-da-da-da-da. But this kind of gives you that good middle ground of Mm -hmm. like, this is the money I need to use. You need to use it right now, but you're making it work for you right now while you're using it. 100%. I kind of like that. And you also, like a lot of people have multiple policies. I have multiple policies, right? I have one that you can set them up for your children, right? So I have a small amount I'm putting away for a kid's college or saving up for this piece of equipment or we're saving for a new facility that goes into this policy. And then I have one that's kind of like you said, like my active buffer money Mm -hmm. for in in between the months or slow months or whatever. And then I have some people that just want to run all their kind of banking, big monthly purchase type stuff out of it. So you get full flexibility. You get to use the money however you want. And again, a lot of people will put that in there for long-term savings and then say an opportunity comes up and you're able to start a new business, open a new branch, 
invest with a partner, whatever it might be, you can use that money for investments too. It's a holding tank, mm -hmm. a great place to keep your money that's going to be safe, that's going to be liquid. And then you can disperse it through those loans anywhere, anywhere and for whatever you might want. So a lot of people will invest their money into one of these policies, gaining say five or 6% and then go and invest in a real estate deal and get like 12%. So now they're getting the 18% total or whatever the numbers are. They're paying some fees and things, but you know what I mean? They can kind of leverage it in one account and then use it elsewhere. So it's not an end-all investment account. It's really a holding tank to allow you a lot more flexibility. Very cool. It's kind of, you know, it's basically an alternative to stock markets and real estate investing, essentially, right? Yeah. What I like to think of it is almost like a leapfrog to it. So like the way that I've done this before, I've had money in my policy. And then if I come up, there's an opportunity. Uh, in March, we had a huge dip, right? Where Apple stock was down 30% and people want to invest in the stock market. Tap into their policy take you know x amount of dollars out and invest in the stock market right you can do whatever you want with the money mm -hmm. my fear in the brainwashing that happens in traditional financial planning is well you'll just stick it into the stock market right away and hope for the best and you see it do this all day long and you yeah. have a heart attack three times a year you know when it goes all over the place yes yeah. we've had those heart attacks <laughs> and if you look at the this is the other thing to consider the average versus the guarantees right so if you look over a 30-year period and it says oh well on average the stock markets return eight percent right mm -hmm. per year great well, how about 2008 how about 2020 how about 2001 when it dropped down 40 50 60 percent if your account loses 50%, it actually has to regain 100% to reach where it was. Mm -hmm. So that might take like two or three years. So what if you wanted to retire in one of those valleys? Oh, yeah. What if you had a big expense that came up, right? I mean, I remember in 2008, that happened to people I know whose parents wanted to retire and they had to put it off. Yeah, huge, huge component there. So definitely not a full alternative to the stock market. I like it as a safety net and then make your calculated decisions and where you want to invest in the stock market, whatever that might be. So just a, again, that holding tank mentality. This is something that I know as on your website, you talked about some of the billionaires. This is kind of one of the things that they're kind of using to uh, grow their own wealth. Yeah, uh, I like to study the long-term billionaires, right? Not the guy that made it overnight, mm -hmm. but the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Disney families, the Waltons, people like this. If you look back at their stories, there is a pivotal point in time and life insurance 99% of the time came up as the safety net that they used to launch into the next thing. And it's a protection piece. And this is one of the last levers that I would touch on here. Cash is an asset, right? Just like your house is an asset and a business is an asset that produces cash flow. It goes up in value. When you have it in these policies, you don't only get the protection from things like inflation because you're constantly growing, but you also have a protection because, again, it's a private contract between you and the insurance company. So real story, I have been sued two times in my life. Both of those I'd like to believe were not my fault, but, you know, these things happen <laughs> if you're in business for long enough. And the first time it happened, I did not have one of these policies in place. And luckily it worked out and I was not liable for what was going on in my business. But it taught me a valuable lesson because my cash reserves were susceptible should I have been liable for this issue. Mm -hmm. And I had to forfeiture all that hard work of, you know, lots of hours and days and, and years of time and cash. Where with one of these policies, because it's private, it's not on your credit report. So one of the reasons billionaires really like it is because they're not disclosing this money. It's protected. Mm. And so in another lawsuit scenario that I've been involved with, it's been protected. So when you look at my net worth mm -hmm. from an outside public perspective, it's not shown there. It cannot be seized. Ah. It's not available for creditors, for bankruptcy, divorce, all these sort of things. So just another layer of this protection. And that's another big piece. And people don't think about that. But, you know, obviously you could pass away. That's a huge 
huge piece. You want the protection of your family to have a safety net. But also if someone comes after you, we live in a litigious society. People will come after you for anything they possibly can. Oh yeah. And it's rarely your fault, but you have to have layers of protection in place. And traditional, just sticking your, your money in a mattress and, and in a bank is not going to give you that protection. Um, is there something that the ultra wealthy know about as far as taxes that we don't that you mind sharing? Yeah, actually, the this kind of leg of the stool, if that's a thing, uh, in terms of those levers is the tax component. So Roth IRAs and 401ks and those traditional plans have their own little tax advantages. One of the challenges with these programs is that taxes, uh, one, you mentioned the limits, right? So like you can only put 6,000 in an IRA, you can only put 19,500 in a 401k, right? So that's not a lot of money if you're a small business owner. That could be a couple of weeks worth of revenue, right? So it pigeonholes a lot of people. So what the billionaires realize is like, obviously they can't use those traditional financial tools because like they make way too much money. The tax component is like a 401k or these other programs will say, oh, well, it's pre-taxed. So you don't pay tax now. You only pay tax in the future when you take it out. Well, I don't know about you, but one, I'm going to be in a different tax bracket when I retire than I am now. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, we just took out two and a half, three trillion dollars worth of government stimulus. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say the taxes are going to go up, right? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so you're forfeiting cheaper taxes now for more expensive taxes down the road. Maybe you're going to retire in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You are shooting yourself in the foot by putting that off. Mm -hmm. So the wealthy realize they're using after-tax dollars and they're sticking it in these policies. So think for a minute about being a billionaire, someone with a lot of money. You have to think very strategically about a legacy plan. What are my children, my grandchildren for some of these people? And it could be you too. I mean, if you have you know half a million dollars, who gets it? How do they get it? What is the form of it? How much tax is going to come out, right? Mm-hmm. Whole estate planning element to this. And many of them use life insurance for that transition or uh, transfer of wealth because when the money goes into that policy, it's locked in. It's private. Like I said, no one can go after it. But most importantly, it's buying you the death benefit, right? So when you pass away, that death benefit goes to your beneficiaries, whoever you name, a partner, your spouse, children, whoever. Mm-hmm. That is 100% tax-free, mm-hmm. the death benefit. That's nice. So they'll fund these accounts, overfund these accounts with their wealth, and then it'll automatically get transferred to their heirs or their beneficiaries tax-free. One of the things most people don't realize, but when you have a lot of money at stake, I mean, you're talking about millions of dollars in taxes that they'll have to incur if it's not structured the right way. Is there any downside to this? Like, I always have to play devil's advocate. If there's somebody who's like, nope, this is, I still don't believe it. Is there any downside? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's no perfect solution out there. Well, exactly. I'm painting all the all the, the pretty things here. Yes. So one of the, the major downsides is in the first couple of years. So this takes time to grow, right? So when you first fund one of these accounts, remember, you're putting money into a a policy and you're buying a death benefit. Mm -hmm. So the insurance company has an expense. They charge you for this and they front load that expense on you in the first couple of years. Okay. So when you put money into your accounts, you're charged a premium. Typically with our accounts, it's between two and six years. It varies a bit where you're paying a premium each month to have that, that ability. Remember I said, like, if you can put a hundred thousand dollars in your premium is typically 10% of that. And that's Mm -hmm. just in the first few years while the account works to break even. So if you were putting a hundred thousand dollars a year in, you'd have a $10,000 premium that you would pay. And that is purchasing you your death benefit. Okay. So in 30 days, if you die, that death benefit is paid for Mm -hmm. and it will go to your your beneficiaries. So you are incurring the premium cost, in that case, the Mm $10,000 for the first couple of years until the account hits a break-even point. And it hits the break-even by the growth of the account reaching up to where it's paid for itself. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a couple of years where you might put in $100,000 
and you'll have $95,000 of it available where you can actually access. Okay. So until you hit that break even, mm-hmm. you won't have all the access to your, your cash value, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And so the more you put in, the quicker you can recoup. Yeah. It still takes a couple of years for that break even to happen. But yes, the idea is there's a cost to it, just like anything else. Sure. But if you're thinking long term and you're committing your dollars to long term growth, mm-hmm. it's a drop in the bucket compared to what you're losing out on and some of these other strategies. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And if that's really the only major downfall, I mean, as long as you know that up front, you know what you're getting into. Like you said, literally nothing's perfect. So sure. I don't think that's too bad of a compromise to make. Yeah. And I said, the, the interest that you pay for loans is not like it's free money on that sense. You do pay for that component. And so mm-hmm. just some of those things to be aware of. But as a whole, I mean, yeah, you are purchasing an asset that would show up on a balance sheet if you were to show where all your cash is. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people talk about that part of it. But I mean, I am a big believer, like the Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like yes. you purchase assets, things that are only going to appreciate, uh, not things that might appreciate if you get lucky and everything goes perfectly well. So yeah, I mean, nothing's perfect, but yeah, as far as an asset goes, you're certainly purchasing one. Is there a way to protect your assets from creditors and bankruptcies? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways to do it. It gets kind of complicated in the weeds a bit, but there's uh, all kinds of irrevocable trusts. We're actually talking with another firm that wanted to insure their employees, actually. This is a whole thing that is a little expensive for a small business, but it is possible. If you have like a director of operations or a key man, you can actually take an insurance policy out on those people as if they're assets. Same thing with your business and same thing with, with some of the other ways you do it, right? So you, you get insurance on your car and your health and your house and mm-hmm. same idea. You can take these policies out on employees and you can actually cut them into the mix. It can be like a retention strategy. If somebody who funds an account, they own the account, they're the beneficiary, but it's in their key employee's name. Mm-hmm. So if their employee were to die and they would incur a huge loss, obviously for that personal relationship, but also the business would suffer because that employee wasn't there. Right. They would get a death benefit from that person passing away. Huh. I had no idea. So what the companies will do is they'll go, that's great. Just a good place to stick my cash and it's protection. But secondly, what I'll do is I'll say my main key person, if you stay with us for 10 years or you stay until you're 60, what you pick the, the amount of time, we structure the policy for you that they can actually get like a pension out of it. So it's going to be spitting off that five to 6%, mm-hmm. hold that over 20, 30 years. And people say, look, I'll give you, you know, $80,000 a year for the rest of your life off of this policy. If you stay with me until you're the 10 year mark, 30 year mark, whatever it is. Yeah. That's amazing. It's really cool. And get really creative with some of those strategies to, to help incentivize people for the long term. Cool. Something I had no idea about too. No, I'm learning no. so much today. <laughs> I'm going to have to like sit and think after this. I'm going to take a minute to digest all this so yes yes it's it there's a lot that goes into it it's dry boring material it took me a long time to understand it all but most people like scott said the gears start turning you're like oh i wonder about this i wonder about that so but that's okay i like that someone like you is going to spend the time to figure this all out yeah. so then you can just yeah, like, give me the quick and easy version because i yes. don't want to spend that many years figuring it out so well i think it's a way different perspective than what we've traditionally been taught because i like i told you before the show that katie and i we've been through the dave ramsey stuff and everything and they kind of push you away from the whole life they want you to go the term and all that stuff. I like this alternative. And the reason you've given us is totally blowing my mind what they teach you. So and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, they are mm-hmm. absolute behemoths in, in terms of spreading the message about financial literacy. They do an excellent job pe- getting people out of debt. Never would speak badly about them. But again, they're trying to steer middle America who have nine to five jobs, who work in this thing. And the best thing for them to do a lot of times is to spend 60 bucks a month and get term insurance. And all that does is if they die, their spouse gets you know 60 grand or something, right? It's a simple protection plan. 
just like I liken it to like thinking about an attorney, right? When we think of lawyers, we think, oh my God, these <laughs> slimy people that are always trying to, you know, raise their rate, right? So, but if you have a good lawyer, like somebody who is an advocate for you, who knows the law or whatever specific thing you need them for, they are a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. And most of them, the one percenters, that's not the average lawyer, right? The average insurance agent, the average life insurance agent has no idea what I'm talking about. I've talked to many of them, just like financial advisors, right? It's like, here's the box. This is what I do. I follow the leader and I, that's what I do for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So you have to find the right advisor. I'm with Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman who say that whole life insurance sold the way that everybody else does is a bad deal for the consumer. It really is. It's structured terribly. It's all structured to get really high commissions for the agent and have them pay a forever bill that really never collateralizes or um, breaks even. Where this strategy, again, it's all about structure. It's got to be set up in the right way. You find that good lawyer who really knows his (laughs) stuff. He or she's worth their weight in gold, right? It's the same idea. You know, all my team does is install these plans, these policies. We don't do anything else. I don't sell any other kind of insurance besides (laughs) this because it worked for me. And I only can sell something that I believe in and that I would give to any family member. And that's a big part of all this. Oh, that's, that says a lot. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> all right, Sean. Well, you've shared so much great information. You mind sharing how people can find you? And Yeah, if they want to know more about this, if they're like, okay, yeah, maybe he's on to something. I'm all right. I'll, I'll consider it. How would they get a hold of you? How would they find you? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you offering me the opportunity to do that. It's a lot of information um, and there's a lot that goes into it. So it can be kind of overwhelming. So first resource would be if you really want to sit down because every person has a different situation, a different amount of money that they can play with, where they are in debt, where they are with their assets. You know, it's hard to speak in generalities when we talk about people's income. Sure. So if you go to my website, leverage-life.com, leverage-life, you can book a free consultation. I call it like a life audit, life insurance audit. And we'll sit down, it's free, I do a Zoom call like this. Sure. I would spend an hour and we will break down your scenario. You'll kind of give me where you are, where you're trying to get to, your age, all that kind of stuff. And I'll explain you know, how this whole thing would work and we'll actually frame up with an illustration what it would look like if you put in this amount of money versus that amount of money, this amount of time versus that amount of time. That is usually the best place to start because we can kind of cater the message to the person because it is specific. That would be if you're really looking to dive in a little deeper. If you're looking to do some superficial research, if I look like some scary looking guy that you're not interested in talking to at first, definitely do your research. There's a lot of information out there. On that same website, we've got blogs and videos. Scott, you've looked at a few of them. I wrote an ebook too that explains some of this called the Billionaire Banking Blueprint. You can download, that's all free. So all those links I'll share with you guys. So if you wanna go to the first camp and actually dive in see what it would look like for you. Book a free call, no obligation. Don't push anybody to any hard sales tactics. If you want to do a little more of your own superficial research, I would check out the website, look at the blog and, and check out some of the videos first. Awesome. Nice. Thank you. We appreciate that. And uh, I encourage everybody to go check out his website. Like he said, there's so much information on there. I was trying to read some here this morning. I'm like, I couldn't get through them all because there's so many different uh, great things on there. Uh, his videos do an awesome job of explaining everything, how everything kind of works. So definitely head over to leveragelife.com, leverage-life.com and uh, check that out. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing a different perspective with us. No, really appreciate it. Like I said, it's going to give everybody a lot to chew on. So yeah, hopefully they'll stock your stuff a little bit and uh, think about it. So yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me guys. Really appreciate it. Love everything you're doing for the industry. I wish I had a resource like this when I was running my landscape company because you feel like you're on an island. So you guys are listening to the podcast join everything that Katie and Scott are doing because they're putting great content out there. They're looking for guests like what we're talking about here, creative ways to think differently, to not fall in line and, and to really separate yourself. So I commend you guys for what you're doing. It's really awesome to see. And, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, to hop on here today. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks Thank so much. You. Look forward to talking more in the future. Thanks guys. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye.
Hey everyone, just want to thank you again for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do ask you for one quick favor. Could you please head over to iTunes and leave us a review? A five-star review is even better, but it helps us get our rankings up and help us spread our message. 